How are you guys doing? Yeah, it's Thursday, all right? Just drove through your city. First time I've been in Cedar Rapids, is it like city proper. The last time I was here was uh, helping some guys clean up from a storm that you guys had a couple months ago. I'm from South Louisiana. In fact, if y'all know Michael, he works here. Uh, he is one of the pastors here, the XP that's here. He's from the same place I was from in Louisiana. And as we were down here chainsawing and cutting up trees and stuff like that, I, I looked at Michael. I'm like, didn't we move away from like South Louisiana to get away from doing this every August? See, I, I don't know if you know this, but like South Louisiana, like we've already had five hurricanes, okay? A hurricane hit yesterday and my parents are flying up tonight and I'm picking up from Cedar Rapids. That's how quick we turn around on those things, okay? 100 mile an hour winds yesterday, flight out the next day. It's just a way of life. So every August I spent time on the roof, uh, during, usually during the hurricane, cutting a tree off somebody's house in the middle of the rain with like 50 people in my house that were afraid of storms. And I'm just like, well, this is just, this is just South Louisiana. Welcome to it. So y'all got a taste of our life a little bit right there. And I, was, I felt your pain and all the difficulty of that without, you know, no AC and no power. Anybody lose power during that thing? Yeah, yeah it was terrible, wasn't it? Huh? Yeah. There's a reason why in South Louisiana, everybody has a generator and a window unit AC just in case, okay? All right, we learn, okay? Probably never going to happen to you again. You're okay. Like, uh, but yeah, I also walked up here, saw something. You all see that incredibly big sound thing over there, a little music stand? I almost grabbed that, but I didn't know if I'd put my notes on or take a nap. I'm not sure. That thing was <laughs> humongous. I was like, uh, not the way I want to go here. But yeah, I'm up in Cedar Falls. We're planning church in Cincinnati. We're going to share a little bit more about that after this service. We'd love for you to stick around in here. At least here, you can pray for us, maybe even partner with us and come with us. We had a vision trip last weekend. We had around 50 people go with us on a vision trip. Uh, quite a few of them have already committed to moving. It is an incredible, beautiful city where the need is very evident. And uh, that's one of the things that we love. I love fixer-uppers. I don't love brand new builds. And so I love seeing a city like that that's in revival and a campus that is definitely in revival there and in need of a church like this there to make a difference on that campus in that city. And we'll talk more about that later. But a little bit about me, South Louisiana. I'm married 11 years. That's a good thing, guys. We say, yeah, he's married 11 years. He could stick with something. Woohoo! all right? 11 years, married 11 years, got three kids, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. My seven-year-old is a boy. His name is Jackson. And he is like a gladiator slash like one of the most tender-hearted people you ever meet. Like his favorite thing is to wrestle. Like whenever I touch him, I feel like I'm just grabbing a muscle. It's not fair. Like he has a six-pack and everything. I'm like, where did you get that? Because I know it's not from me. All right. But I look at him. He's just, he's just jacked. But he has his heart of gold. Like we were playing his last fight football game. And he was playing against his friend, Trevor. And I told him, I was like, hey, you're playing Trevor next week. Do you really want to win? He goes, oh, man, it's going to be hard to win. It's like, why? It's like, well, because if I win, then Trevor will be sad. And I was like, is that the sweetest thing you've ever heard? All right, I'll tell you one more story about him. We're baptizing him this Sunday. I'm super excited about it. All right, I know. Hey-o! You know, and, we, and he can, and my son, man, at seven years old, um, I remember he moved to a new school in Iowa last year. We moved to Cedar Falls last year. And as he's going to his first day, first couple of weeks of uh, first grade, there was these kids that were messing with him, picking at him, and calling him names. And this is how Jackson thinks because of what we've done in following Jesus and where we've gone. Is that when the kids started making fun of them, and they said, yeah, they said I was nothing. And I said, there's no way I could be nothing. I'm a son of God. And he's like, 
He's like, I'm not nothing. And, and so, Dad, I just prayed for them. I was like, you're an angel. <laughs> this is not me. And then there's Ella, who, like, she's going to run the mob. She's our four-year-old. <laughs> we call her boss lady because everyone ends up working for her somehow, some way. You know, we want to walk through the park. The whole point is to take a walk, like the hike. And I tell all the people, like, do not carry Ella. She hates walking, and she figures out. I turn around two minutes later. There's one person holding her, and there's two other students holding rocks and sticks, and it's all of her stuff, and they're just following her like this. And I'm like, Ella. She's like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, whatever. And then there's Gracie, and she's the one that likes me the most, so she's my favorite right now. You're not supposed to have a favorite, but I have a favorite. But she's one. She's sweet. And she's also, but she like punches her sister all the time and she gets away with it because she hugs dad. Um, <laughs> but she's incredible. They're great. And we, they're, uh, that's kind of who we are. And if you guys ever find your way in Cedar Falls, we'd love for you to come knock on our door, come say hey to us. I remember the first time that I spoke at the leadership, at UNI's leadership thing, I freaked out like some of the staff because I just gave all of them my phone number and told them my address and said, hey, come, come hang out with us, in which... A lot of them do, and so we constantly have people at our house. We feel like uh, we want to have an open-door policy, and the best way that many of you guys could grow in your faith and grow as husbands and wives one day is to watch healthy family rhythms. So you'll see us discipline our kids. You'll see us, if you come over, we're not going to uh, spend all of our time giving you one-on-one attention. There's too many other things to steward at that moment. You just got to hop on in on it. And so, uh, and that's how we're going to really lead our church as family in Cincinnati. Um, but we're excited about where God has us. You'll hear more about that in a minute. But let's get into what we're talking about tonight, okay? We're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be bouncing right into there. And, and this is a story about Jesus engaging with people that are in dire straits, hopeless situations, with no chance, no chance of restoration, no chance of things going well. It's just going to go really, really bad for them. It's a hopeless moment. And I don't know if you can ever think back to the last like hopeless moment you've had. They're not going to be as bad as the ones we're talking about here, but just to kind of level with you, I remember when I was in college freshman year, and, and I, I didn't have to really study hard in high school. In fact, I didn't really study at all. I just kind of just did it, and then got to college. All of a sudden, I had to study, but I didn't know that, and so I'm like three-fourths into the first semester, and I'm failing calculus, and I got one test left, and I know I'm going to fail it, and I'm like, I can't believe this. Maybe I'm not cut out for college Maybe all, this, all these questions are coming up. And I remember just shaking and freaking out, like all the money I've wasted, all the time I've wasted, what's going on? Oh my gosh, I'm about to bomb my future. Have anybody ever been in that position? All right, a couple of y'all are being honest. You almost failed, you know, like almost got it. Some of you are like, well, almost had a B. All right, that doesn't count, okay? <laughs> but the, <laughs> I was happy for a B, okay? D equals diploma, all right? And there we were. And, uh, but it was one of these moments where I was just like an absolute loss of what was going to happen. And I was desperate. I was desperate for anything that could get me out of the hole. And what we're going to be looking at tonight in this book is people that are just like that, but not something just small like a test or a grade or a class that you can just drop, but something that would be life-altering changes, life-altering problems in which you would seek out every solution possible to solve it, but wouldn't be able to find a solution to a point where you're so desperate that you are reaching out to the only thing that can help you. In fact, they actually turned to the right person. I think there's a lot that we can learn from that about what the biggest issue in their life. And I hope as we look at this passage, as we see these people that bring their biggest issues that they have at that moment to Jesus, we see that how he responds is that he's not afraid of them. He's not overcome by them. In fact, he's the only person that can deal with it. 
See, some of you think your greatest issue in your life is whether you're going to pass class, get a job, get a spouse, whatever those things are. And that's the big thing you're trusting Jesus for. But guys, God is so much more capable of that. To do exceedingly and beyond what you can think, imagine, or hope for. And we're going to see an incredible picture of Jesus doing something miraculous here in these people's lives. But let me, I'm going to say it before we get into it. It's not about the miracle. It's about what the miracle is pointing to. Before we even get into it, it's not about the miracle. It's about what the miracle is pointing to. So let's pray and let's dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for these men and women that are gathering here. Lord, I ask at this moment you would begin to just pull back the curtain of our life. Lord, that you would do work in our hearts and our minds. That this wouldn't just be a night of a good lesson where we learn a little highlight, a little trivia piece, a little tidbit about who Jesus is. But Lord, that you would transformationally speak to our hearts and transform us in more into likeness of your image. That we'd be a better representation of who you are or come into relationship with who you are or come to grips with who you are tonight. That you would use your word powerfully to do what it says it's going to do. That it would rebuke, that it would sharpen, it would encourage that it would spur us on, Lord, that it would correct. We don't want to leave the same. We want to leave different. It's not a game. We want to meet with you. So, Lord, I ask that we would meet with you right now. Amen. Okay, open up to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read through the whole story, verse 40, and then I'm going to kind of talk to you about what I think about it, okay? starts out this. He says, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were awaiting for him. It's like, why are they waiting for him? Because if you look at the beginning of, of chapter 8, he's already freed a person from a demon. He's doing incredible things. He's a talk of town. People are showing up going, oh my goodness, who is this person? In 41, the story turns and says, and there, were, there came a man named Jairus who was the ruler of the synagogue, falling at the feet of He implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So right off the bat, what we're looking at here is that there's this really important Jewish guy, this really important guy in the Jewish community, and he shows up to Jesus, and he falls at his feet, and he begins to beg Jesus to come to his house. Why? Because he's in a moment of crisis. Because brokenness is clear. Because healing needs to happen. Because there is his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, is dying in bed. All right? I don't think any of you are parents in the room. I'm a parent of three. I'm going to tell you this. There's very few things that a dad loves more than his little girl. Okay? All right, I got a one-year-old. My one-year-old, this past spring, she slammed her finger in the door. Some kid slammed her finger in the door. First, I'd revert, like, just hold back the ears to kick the kid. Um, and then... And it split her finger open, and we had to take her to the, take, take her to the hospital to get stitches. I remember showing up in that waiting room. It was during COVID. You know what happens during COVID, right? They, they said, oh, only, only, only the mom can be in or the dad can be in. You know what I did? I just stared at that lady. And I think she caught the message that I wasn't going anywhere. In fact, she didn't say anything to me for the rest of the time because I'm like, this is, this is my child and I, she's hurting. It's only her pinky. But I'm not leaving. Could you imagine where he is at this moment? How many doctors were brought in? How many moments they tried just, just thing after thing after thing after thing after thing? And just slowly watching your child deteriorate in front of you. 
to such a point of desperation, of hopelessness, that you've heard a story of a guy doing something. You've heard about his teachings. I don't know, maybe you heard him teach or saw him do stuff, but jumps down at his feet and says, please show up and heal my child. I think you can do something about it. And Jesus responds, he says, and it continues on to Jesus' complete response. He says, as Jesus went, meaning as he immediately turns to go with Jairus to go deal with the daughter, he says, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had been discharged of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately... Her discharge of blood ceased. Look at this. Jesus is on his way, and here comes somebody interrupting the miracle that he's going to do at that house. Shows up, and they just touch him, and all of a sudden, they're healed. And Jesus says this, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounding you is pressing in on you. Peter's like, hey, there's lots of people here, Jesus. Lots of people are touching you, okay? And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Someone touched me, for I perceived that the power has gone out from me. He had a sense that, he, that God was doing something that drew him to somebody else, and he wanted to deal with whatever God was doing at that moment. For, verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declaring in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has, been made, has made you well. Go in peace. Guys, could you imagine her? It says that she, went to, she spent her entire living, every dollar she had trying to fix this problem that she had. Not a single person could deal with it. Not a single remedy, no, no doctor, nothing can deal with the issue that she had. And then she touches Jesus and she's healed. And after she touches Jesus, she begins to tremble. Why? Wouldn't you? I mean, she's unclean. Meaning she's someone you shouldn't be near. Because of her problem. Society has placed a stamp on her. Basically a scarlet red letter of just. This is a person we don't associate with. And she's touched something holy. And she's wondering. Oh my goodness. What will he say to me? What will he do? You see his words. We're going to talk a lot about that in a little bit. But he continues. I'm going to finish here in 49. And we're going to dig into what does all this mean. And while he was sitting and speaking. Someone from the ruler's house came and said. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus in hearing this answer, answered him. Do not fear. Only believe. And she will be well. And when he came to the house. He allowed no one to enter with him. Except Peter and John and James. And the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but is, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. It wasn't kind of laugh like, that's really funny, Saturday Night Live laugh. It's a laugh of, like, of a scoff. Like, what? How could you say that? But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. 
and her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. See, when we look at this incredible story of interruption in Jesus' life, he shows up and people just keep coming up to him in need. In fact, the needs just keep coming. He's, he's going to do one thing. Somebody's bouncing out. Here comes another thing. Hey, it's over with. Don't worry about it. She's dead. He goes again. But when you see all this, there's three things we need to understand in this passage that really speak really loudly to us. The first one is this, that when we bring our brokenness to Jesus, he enters in. He doesn't run away. I want you to think about that for a second. When you bring your issues to Jesus, he doesn't run from them, but he runs to them. And he can deal with them. Look at what it says. Jairus comes up to him and says, hey, my daughter, this is what's happening. And immediately it says he goes. And he goes in a sense that he goes with love, not to bring shame. Not to bring debate. Not to judge or to see as a sideshow. Nothing, but he shows up. Why? To love and to bring life into a situation that is absolutely hopeless. See, here's the thing that's amazing, all right? When you come to people with problems, are they genuinely happy that you brought a problem to them? Or are they a little bit frustrated? I'm frustrated. Whenever one of my kids come up to me with a problem, I'm like, ugh, now what? What's the issue? Daddy needs to watch The Office, all right? I need some Pam time before they take it off Netflix. What are you doing? Can you figure it out yourself? You're interrupting what I'm supposed to be doing at this moment. But when you come to Jesus with your issues, he doesn't see you as an interruption, and he's not put off by your brokenness. Look at the story of the unclean woman. That woman was a pariah in her society. She was someone to stay away with. She wasn't going to be part of your social circle because if you looked at her, you would imagine in that society, the reason why she's dealing with that is because there's something probably wrong with her or something that she's done wrong or God doesn't like her or whatever. You'd begin to associate those things just from myths that you have within your culture. But Jesus doesn't enter into any of those things. In fact, he seeks her out after she's been healed in order to have a personal, real conversation with her. Jesus isn't worried about your mess. Furthermore, whatever issue you have is not too big for him. It's too big for you, but it's not too big for him. He says this woman's been bleeding for 12 years. No one could solve it. You have a dead girl in a bed. That's not a problem people can fix. But it's not an issue for Jesus. All it took was for that girl just to touch the fringe of his clothes. That's the power of the God that we have. That's the power of the God we follow. All it took was two words for Jesus to speak to bring the dead back to life. Guys, sometimes, guys, we, we act like the girl's father. Remember, he has enough faith to go to Jesus to heal his daughter, but he doesn't have enough faith to believe that Jesus could raise her from the dead. 
And sometimes we approach God and we make small what is big. That we think, man, God, if you just would have showed up before this moment, I wouldn't have had these issues. God, if you would have met me before I'd done these things, then you really could have made an impact in my life. I really could have been a person that followed you. God, if, you, if, you just, if there was just a few less skeletons in my closet. You really could have done something with me. But we follow the God that when people touch them, they're physically healed. When he says two words, the dead are raised to life. And he's the kind of God that doesn't do it out of obligation, but he does it so that he would be in relationship. What does he call the girl that he heals? Daughter. Why? He said, your faith has made you well. See, what Jesus desires is not just to remove your issues, but to bring you into relationship with him. And 2,000 years ago, he moved heaven and earth showed up and dealt with your biggest problem, which wasn't a physical ailment and it wasn't even physical death, but it was the spiritual separation that you have between God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and you because of sin. And he dealt with it on a cross, taking the punishment that you deserve. I love that he brought up 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21, it says, he, became, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of Christ. That Jesus bore your sins and my sins and our iniquities and took on the punishment, the wrath of God as he punished sin in the person of Jesus so that we could be the righteousness of God. Guys, it's not about the miracle. It's about the miracle who it's pointing to. Jesus is saying, hey, I want relationship with you. I'm not afraid of your issues. Your problems aren't too big for me. Guys, here's the question. When you have problems, where are you going with them? Are you going to the God that deals with it fully? Look at how he deals with the girl at 12. What's the, next, what's the first thing he tells the girl to do after she's raised? Immediately. Feed her. She's hungry. Now, here's the significant that I, significance I find in that. You ever been sick? Anybody got COVID yet? I got it. I, got the, I didn't get the off-brand. I got the bad one, okay? Laid me up real bad, okay? But I'm the safest person for you to be around because I can't get anymore. So there you go. Uh, come to Cincy. Yeah. Uh, we won't give you COVID. Yeah. So, but you ever got real sick? When, when you start feeling better, do you feel like eating right away? No, you don't. You're like, I need to recover for a couple of days, and then your appetite comes back. Do you see the completeness of Jesus' healing in this moment? Here's this girl that's sick to the point that she's going to die. She probably hasn't eaten forever, and now she has died. And the second that she's raised, the symptoms are gone. There's not even a whiff of sickness or death in her life. 
Guys, that's the kind of healing that Jesus brings to us. That when he deals with your biggest issue, which is your sin, there's not a whiff of death in you anymore. In fact, it says you're the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life. You may experience the presence of death around you because we live in a broken and fallen world, but guess what? There's going to be a moment where you die and you raise again, and you'll be outside of the presence of sin and death. Not a whiff. That's the completion and the power of the God that we have. Who are you bringing your problems to? Just press answer. Let's let them listen to. Who are you bringing your problems to? Do you bring it to Jesus? Do you bring it to your friends, your mom, your friends, your buddy, your sister, your whoever, your cousin? Where's the primary place that you're going for healing of your brokenness? And I just want to talk to the Christians for a second for a moment. Uh, And it's probably most of you in the room. When you see brokenness in the world, do you respond to it like Jesus does? When Jesus sees brokenness in the gospel, he runs to it. Do you run to it or run away from it? Because let me explain something to you. Like, we call you Christians. We're called Christians. We, we earn that name. Because in Acts, we saw that people that were following Jesus' teaching, living as Jesus did, trying to image and mirror their life after the life of Christ, not trying to be a God, but trying to follow what he was calling the life that he was calling them to live, that people looked at outside and said, hey, these are like little Christ walking around like little Christ, like trying to be little Christ, little Jesuses. And that's how we earn the name Christian. But I'm just telling you right now, if that is who you are, guys, you have to be the kind of people that enter into moments like that. That don't run from the darkness, but run to the pain and the brokenness. And here's something, we haven't done it very well as a church. I heard this shocking statistic. Did you know this? That if every church in America just fostered one child, the foster system would, be no, would have no need whatsoever to foster children anymore. Every church in America, if they just fostered one child, isn't that convicting? I think why the church, people are so disillusioned with the church is we don't run to the pain anymore, but we run from it. We don't run to the need anymore like Jesus does. We don't press into the hard moments and the brokenness that we see around us. We cover ourselves and we say we're doing community. You want to know if you're doing that? Here's a quick little quiz. One question. Can you name five people in your immediate context right now that don't know Jesus? That you know their names? And you're praying and seeking relationship and opportunity for God to work in their life. Like when I look at the Gospels, yes, Jesus spends time in devotion with people, with his disciples. He spends time in prayer and he spends time with the Lord. But there's a whole lot of time he spent around a whole lot of need and a whole lot of broken people. What does that time split look in your life? Christ follower. 
You can't just follow Christ in your quiet time. You've got to fall into the need and to the brokenness that's in front of you. Second point is this. It's not the size of your faith. It's the object that your faith is focused on that matters. When you look at these two people, neither of them would you say were great examples of faith-filled, amazing people. I mean, look at the woman. She's too afraid to even be seen. She just wants to touch and slip away. It's kind of like this thing, like, well, maybe this will work. I'll try this. Okay, maybe I've seen he can do it. He can do it. And look at Jesus' response to her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Some of you right now in this room, you think your biggest issue is your class or whatever, but really your biggest issue is that you are not at peace with God. And if you would just reach out to him, you would find healing from your brokenness. And you'd find peace with God. See, she was healed not because her faith was so great. She was healed because her faith was founded in something that was great. What did Jesus say to the people after, after they found the girl was dead? Just believe, and she will be there. Look at their belief. They're laughing at him in one moment. It's not very strong. Because it's not about what you can muster up and how good of a Christian you can be or how impressive you can be to God, but it's how impressive he is and your dependence upon him. See, some of you, the best thing you can do right now is stop trying to perform for Jesus. Stop trying to be a better Christian. Stop trying to do the things that you think you need to do in order to, like, exercise your faith. But really what you need to do is just lean in into dependence upon Jesus and beg him and ask him to move and get at his feet and say, Lord, please move in the brokenness that I see around me. And then follow him wherever he's telling you to go. Point number three is this. This is the last one. It's all for his glory. The point of the miracles is not to make their life better, but was to draw attention to who he was. And the work that God has done in your life, God is not as concerned about your present life he is about your next life. Right? That woman could get sick again. That child was going to die again at some point. And let me tell you something too right now. By the way, if I'm ever dead, please don't pray for me to be raised from the dead. I'm in heaven, okay? I don't want to come back here. I see Jesus face to face. That wasn't for her. That was for them to see Jesus for who he was. Christian, I'm talking to you again right now. The work that Jesus has done in your life is a miracle that he has taken your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. He's, given you, he's taken your ears that don't hear and your eyes that don't see, and he's given you a spirit to discern the voice of God that you can be called son or daughter of the kingdom. And he did it not so you would just sit on it, but he did it so that you'd be a signpost to everyone around you where healing and hope and life is found. 
Look at 2 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says this, but you, this speaks to our identity, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you receive mercy. You see how Peter talks about your identity and who God has made you to be. But what is the purpose? Look at that. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why you've been called. That you could speak of the miracle that God has done in your life to others so they can experience the same miracle. That you can point to the person that healed you, that dealt with your brokenness. That is who God has made you to be. That he would get more glory. Because it's right for him to get it. Because of who he is and what he's done. Guys, where are you bringing your problem? Is it about God's power or your power? Is it about your glory or his? What are you doing with what he's given you? I want to pray. Jesus, thank you so much for such a night like this to uh, look at your word and see these two miraculous things that you've done. And Lord, they point to your divinity, that you are the God that heals diseases that we can't deal with, and you are the God that raises people from the dead. But more importantly, Lord, what they point to is that you deal with more than just the physical, but the spiritual death that weighs on all of us. God, I pray that we would realize that the biggest problem, the biggest brokenness in our life is not a boyfriend that broke up with us. It's not bad grades. It's not divorced parents. It's not even the word cancer. But Lord, it is our eternal separation from you that you have dealt with by sending you yourself showed up and died on the cross. You didn't send somebody else to do it. You did it. And you did it that we would have relationship with you and we'd partake in the family business which is speaking of you and bringing glory and honor and praise to your name. God, when we look at the book of Revelation, which is the end of the story, we know that you win. But what we see is that the nations of, and tribes from all kinds of people are worshiping you. God, I don't want to take what you've given me, the miracle that you've done in my life, and be quiet about it. You haven't asked me to be quiet about it as you asked them. You've asked me to speak about it, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, because if we're not doing that, we're just playing a game. We're just being moral. We're just doing whatever. And that's going to become tiresome because it's not real. It's not where you are. God, I just know you are more in the mission field than I imagine you to be. Yes, you're there in my devotion time. Yes, you're here in this moment, but you are beckoning us, Lord, to follow your example and to walk into the broken, hard places in Cedar Rapids and Iowa and Cincinnati and wherever you send us, God. Lord, heal us. Continue to deal with our brokenness. Do what your word says in Philippians 1, 6, that he who started a good work in us will finish it in Christ Jesus. God, there will be a moment that you will completely deal with it. And we will live in the realization of what you've done. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen.